0: Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Follow along with me. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestined us to adoption, As sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you will please be with us as we have been studying this rich book and And almost been blown away by phrase after phrase, let alone entire sentences, and what this means, Father. We just pray that you will help us once again as we open this treasure chest, as we look inside it, as we examine the riches of your grace and what you have done for us in Christ and what this means for us. Please, we pray, expand our hearts, expand our minds. We need your help, Father. We need your help that we won't just walk away with a ho-hum when the most amazing things that have ever been spoken to the human race are being spoken in this book. Help us, we pray. Save us from distractions. Save us from uh, a life that is just consumed with here and now, with buying and selling, with, with, with the things of this world that are so quickly passing away. Help us, we pray, to delight in, and to value the eternal things that this book opens up for us now. So bless and be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. By now, you, it should be clear that the book of Ephesians is a rich, deep, profound book. It's a beautiful book. It's a book of wonders. It's like a deep ocean uh, with treasure chests of treasure down underneath there that we, that we pull up. In fact, each phrase sometimes just feels like as you study it and as it opens up and opens up and opens up, it's almost like a grand finale at the end of a a fireworks event, you know, that that each phrase of God and what he has done just opens up for us. And so if you look at verse 3, what we've looked at so far, where we've come so far, is Paul is blessing God for giving us every spiritual blessing that we need in Christ Jesus. And then he begins to list them. Verse 4 just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And then he chose us that we would be holy and without blame before him. And then in love, he predestined us and he made us adopt. He adopted us as his children through Jesus Christ to himself. And he did this according to his good pleasure. In verse 6, it tells us he then worships him to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he graced us. Remember that? He graced us. In the beloved. And and so all of these things chosen and 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 loved and predestined and adopted and and graced, all of these things have come to us, and they've come to us by the fact that we were placed in union with Christ, in union with him. And this idea of union with Christ continues to flow, and it's going to flow in terms of what we're going to look at today, which is going to be verses seven and eight. Now, notice here, for instance, this idea of union with Christ. He ends verse 6 with that because he says, and he graced us or he made us accepted in the beloved. And there's that idea of union with Christ again. And notice how Jesus is called the beloved. He's the beloved. Now, verse 7 continues. Now, what you have to understand is, is that when Paul wrote this, he, there was no five, six, or seven there. There's actually no periods either uh, all, all the way until the end of verse 14. This is one big continuous sentence. And actually, what Paul says next is this, not in him. So there isn't, from beloved, it doesn't go seven and then capital I. In, uh, beloved period, seven, capital I. It doesn't do that. When Paul wrote it, it says he graced us in the beloved and then it says this, in whom, in whom. And there's very few Bibles that actually pick up on that. The King James Version is the only more modern, or I mean more uh, familiar one that does, in whom. But that in whom ties it ties it a little bit more tightly to this idea of the beloved. That, that what's coming next is flowing out of this beloved. And so in the beloved, uh, and so here, this is the word the word idea that, that Jesus is the beloved. He's the beloved of the Father. It's talking about one who is deeply, deeply loved by God the Father. That's what's being said here with this idea of the beloved. And the God the Father has actually used this phrase twice, directed right at Jesus. Once was at Jesus' baptism. In Matthew 3 and verse 17, it says this, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God just expressed his love for his son at his baptism. And then in Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, this cloud comes and says, And while he was speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. I love this person. I'm, he's, he, he's, he's captured my heart as it were. He, he is my heart. This is my beloved son. And this feeling that the father has toward the son is so profound and it's going to actually really make profound what we're just about to study. So I want you to see this in his context. I want you to understand how, and this is why it's important as we're reading our Bibles, we're seeing how this is all woven together. And so at the end of verse six, he says, we've been graced in the beloved, in the beloved, the one who is so deeply loved by God. And then he goes on to say this, in whom we have redemption, redemption. So let's study this concept of redemption. What is redemption? Well, redemption, this word redemption, I'll, I'll just throw out a, a big Greek word for you here. Then I'll t- kind of take it apart. This is the word apalutrosis, Apolutrosis. Sometimes people say, hey, when you throw out a Greek word, spell it. So here I'll spell it. Uh, alpha Pi Omega. No, no, I'm just kidding. TRO uh, A-P-O L U T R O S I S. A-P-O L-U T-R-O-S-I-S. Apa Now it's a compound word, Apa and lutrosis. That's those are connected. Apa means from or, or, uh, um, you know, to, to, or back, it can, it, it's one of these, it's a preposition, and it, and it means this, so, so it's, to, it's to, so the word means to buy back a slave, to buy back a captive. It's a very specific word, because lutrosis. it's appa, buy back from, buy back to, appa and lutrosis, which is tied in, Lutrosis is actually a very, very specific Roman word. And it's a word that's used for buying back a slave or a captive. Now we don't have a word like that, because we don't have slaves and captives, okay? But they did. In the Roman culture, it's estimated that up to one third of the people were slaves. One third of the people. We say, Must well, have been easy to become a slave. How did you become a slave? Well, you primarily became a slave in the Roman culture because Rome was such a big and massive army and an aggressive militaristic culture, they were constantly going to war and taking over places and if people fought against them they would go and they would they would take them and whenever you were taken as a captive and a prisoner of war then you immediately became a slave and you could, would be a slave for the rest of your life they'd take you back to Rome and you would be a slave and people say well why didn't they just run away well why didn't they just you need to understand something The world back then was very different than the world is today, okay? There was no cell phones. There was hardly even any maps. There was no no communication system that was very good. So your family didn't know that you were 200, 300, 400, 500 miles away. They didn't know where you were. They didn't know you were a slave, and you are a slave. And if you run away and you're caught as a runaway slave, they'll kill you. And if you run away and you're a runaway slave and you're 500 miles away from anybody that you know and family and then you go walking into a town or a village or down a street, people are going to see you as a stranger. And they're not going to be sure about you. And you might even be a different culture, ethnicity than them. And you will st- What are you going to do the first day? Where are you going to eat? Where are you going to eat the first night? Let alone get 400, 500, 600 miles away, which you don't even know where you're going in order to find your family. No, no, no. If you were a slave, you were a slave. That was it, okay? But where does Apa Lutrosis come from then? Well, the idea comes from this. If your family or somebody knew that you were a slave and you say, hey, your brother or your son is a slave and he's a slave in Thessalonica or he's a slave in Rome, then you might go and purchase him and bring him back. In the Hebrew Old Testament, that was called a kinsman redeemer. It was somebody who was your kinsman. He had the right to go. And in, in the Hebrew culture, if you were a slave, he had the right to actually demand that he could buy you. You couldn't say no. He would pay you a fair price, but he would buy you. Let me ask you this. How much would a slave be worth today? Now think about this. A slave. You had a slave. Say, say you have a slave who lives at your home, okay? You feed him. You clothe him. You have a slave. He does all your work for you. He does whatever you ask him to do. He works for you. And he's going to work for you for the rest of his life. What's he worth to you? What's the value? Well, the truth of the matter is a slave would be very, very valuable. Be very, very valuable. So if your relative is going to come and buy you, let's put it in today's, today's money. $30,000? Like, how much work are you going to get out of a slave for 30 years? $30,000 is cheap. $50,000? So if I found out that my brother was a slave, Or my sister was a slave, and I walked to Rome, 300-some miles, with $50,000 in cash, and I purchased their liberty, apalutrosis, I buy them out of slavery, I've done an amazing thing for them. In fact, when the kinsman redeemer showed up, you found me. They couldn't believe you found me. You found me. I'm here, and you're paying all of this money, and you're freeing me. That's what it means. And that's what this word meant. Apa means to buy back from. Lutrosis is to buy back a slave. And so lutrosis, also the word lutro has some other meanings, uh, has other uses in the New Testament. So lutron, for instance, is a noun. Well, How do you have a noun for buying back from a slave? It was the money that you paid to buy them back. We think of that today as ransom money. Hey, I got your kid. Don't don't call the cops. Just put $3 million of unmarked bills in in the, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that's a ransom. We think of that as a ransom when we watch our cop shows and stuff. But it actually was a word that was used back in Roman culture, a lutron. And it's used in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Jesus used it when he said this. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a lutron, a ransom, for many. So you see, here's this idea. This word, terminology, has to do with this buying back slaves. There's also then a verb, lutrao, the purchase, of buying back an, of, the, the doing this thing. And that's used in 1 Peter that Chris read this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, it says this. Knowing that you were not redeemed, and there's the word lutron. A word that means ransomed or paid or freed by a price that was paid. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. Now check this out. But with the precious blood of Christ. Remember that phrase, precious blood. We're going to use that often now. From the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, why did he just throw in agriculture there at the end he didn't what he threw in there at the end was the entire old testament okay it was the idea that that god had prepared the people for the coming of christ when he said get a lamb that lamb needs to be spotless no mange no deformities no disease no nothing a perfectly spotless lamb that's what you will come you will lay your hands on its head you will confess your sins you will slice its neck Your sins will be atoned for and you will go free. And here Peter is taking all of that Old Testament and he's saying, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb. And so what is this saying? What is Paul saying here? We bring all of this rich teaching, all of this word study back to Ephesians 1.7. In him, in the beloved, we have redemption through his blood. Through the blood of the beloved, we have redemption. We have been bought out of slavery. We have been ransomed by the blood of the beloved. We've been bought out of captivity. Well, What have we been bought out of captivity of? What held us captive? Well, the Bible is very clear, and there's, there's, there's actually many. We were captive under sin. We were captive under the guilt of our sin. We were captive under the power of sin. We were brought into that captivity because of Adam. And Adam's entire race under the captivity of sin, under the power of sin. We were under the captivity of Satan. We were in slavery to Satan. We were in slavery to his his temptations and slavery to his accusations and slavery to his power. We were in captive under our guilt. We were under the weight of guilt, the guilt of all of our sins. We were under condemnation. We were on death row. We were going to die because of all of our sins. That's That's what we were under. And Christ Gave us, he redeemed us. He was our redeemsman kinsman. He was our redeemer kinsman, kinsman redeemer. He was our kinsman redeemer. And he redeemed us out of that. He purchased us out of that. That's summarized for us so well in Romans 3, 23 and 24, which says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's that guilt of sin. There's that guilt. All have sinned. Being justified freely... By his grace, through the redemption, apalutrosis, that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The purchase out of of the slavery. The justification for all who are guilty and all who have sinned. This is the captivity that he has brought us out of. Now notice in Ephesians 1.5, it says this. In him we have redemption through his blood, through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. This idea that redemption, our redemption involved the purchase through the blood and the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1.14 says this as well. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So we are redeemed. We have been cleansed. We have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Because I know for you and I as Christians, we, we think about this all the time. We talk about this all the time. I've been saved. I've been saved. I've been forgiven by the blood of Christ. Well, let's think about this for a minute. Notice the price that was paid to free us from our slavery. Not $50,000, which would be a lot, which would be a lot. Not $50,000. In fact, Peter says, we weren't redeemed with paltry things like silver and gold that perishes, it tarnishes, you have to polish it, get the silver polish out. We weren't, we, weren't, we weren't redeemed with that stuff. We were redeemed with the precious blood, the precious blood. Now, dear friends, when blood starts flowing, things get serious, okay? When blood starts flowing, people notice. Oh, hey, you you got a bloody nose. You're bleeding out of your nose. You're you're bleeding out of your ear, man. You better go see a doctor. And somebody's passing blood. It's like, whoa, that ain't good. That ain't good. When you cut yourself and blood starts really flowing, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Then you put your hand over and it's flowing through your fingers. like, wait a minute. This is serious. This is serious. As soon as blood gets involved, as soon as blood gets involved, it's serious. Oh, he's lost a lot of blood. He's lost a vast amount of blood. Would somebody line up and and give him some blood? He needs blood. The life is in the blood, the Bible says. They had to to drain the blood out of things before they would eat it because the life was in the blood. Blood is serious business, friends. When it starts happening, it's serious business. But dear ones, when the blood is vastly pouring out of somebody who is your beloved, that is way serious. Your child has been in an accident and there's been a massive loss of blood. You're in an operating room, I mean, you're in an emergency room, you're waiting there the ambulance has whisked your loved one back in, and the doctor comes out and says, I, 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 we're starting surgery here in a few minutes, but I have to tell you there's been a massive loss of blood. Dear ones, the blood of the beloved is precious. And what this is saying is this. In him, in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' blood was poured out for us. There was a massive loss of blood. They whipped his back open and and cut the capillaries in his back. And blood oozed and poured out of his back. They put a crown of thorns upon his head and shoved it on his head. And it pierced into his, into his, his skull. And there was blood pouring out of that. There was a bloody scene. They nailed his hands. They nailed his other hand. They nailed his feet. The cross was a bloody, bloody scene. And after he died, they shoved his spear in the side, and water and blood literally poured out like a faucet. Jesus' blood, the blood of the beloved, was, was poured out, was poured out, was poured out in a bloody scene. And that's how we were redeemed. We were redeemed through the blood, the precious blood. Of the beloved. And dear friends, when that blood was poured out, that was grace being poured out. Because look at verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now, I'm not going to go into that because we went into that last week, didn't we? The riches, the riches, the fantastic riches of his grace. The beloved. His blood was poured out to redeem us out of slavery and out of sin, and that whole thing was an outpouring of the riches of grace. That was grace at work. That was the riches of grace being poured out. That was grace being poured out upon us. And then he actually goes on to say this, and I think it's a little bit too toned down in the New King James. Maybe some of your other translations might be a little better at this. Verse 8, in which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. This is another great Greek word, this idea. It's the Greek word perisuo, and it means this. To be over and above. To be exceeding. To exceed the ordinary, to overflow, to surpass, extravagant, lavish, shower. And that's, some of your Bibles translated this, it says this, which he lavished on us all in wisdom. What is he lavishing? The riches of his grace. How is he lavishing the riches of his grace? Verse 7, through the blood of his son. When the blood of his son is just poured out and he's losing all of his blood and the beloved is losing his blood right there before the father's very eyes. This is the lavishing, the outpouring of God's grace and his grace, which he's just lavished upon us. In other words, we need to think of it this way. God is lavishing the riches of his grace upon us through his beloved dying. God can't express his love for us any more than that. It can't be expressed any more than that. What more could love possibly do than the shocking lavishing on such sinners as he lavished it upon? While we were yet sinners, he did this. While we were enemies, he did this. While we were unholy and ungodly people, he did this. He lavished the blood of his son upon us so that we could be forgiven. We could be justified. All of our sins could be done. This is precious blood, dear friends. It's the most precious thing in your life. None of your money, none of your investments, none of your property, none of your your reputation, none of your success. If you're a great influencer, who cares? This is the most precious thing in our lives. The precious blood of Jesus poured out grace, lavished upon us. I want to now pause and turn this about 180 degrees. Because what I just said is, the blood of Christ is precious to us. What I want to do now, is I going to turn this a little bit, because I think this is the actual focus of the Bible, and sometimes we miss it. I want us to go back to the heart of God, the Father, and I want us to see this thing from God's perspective. You see, dear friends, the blood of Jesus is precious to us. It pays for our forgiveness. But the blood of Jesus is super, way more precious in that sense to the Father. I want you to think about how precious the blood of Jesus is to the Father. To the Father. Now, how do we illustrate this? Let me try to illustrate this for you. I want you to imagine a father whose beloved son died. This father has a son, had a son, and his son was a Navy SEAL, okay? And this, he was very proud of his son. His son became a Navy SEAL, and his son would be one of those guys who would just volunteer for all these rescue missions. And one day, his son goes on a rescue mission. There's some citizens of the United States who have been held captive, and this son goes in with a group of guys. He goes in to rescue them, and they do. They rescue them out. But in the process of them being rescued out, his son is violently, violently killed. So violently, terribly killed by the enemies of the United States that they have no body that they can even give. His body was burned. There was a big celebration. And so the chaplains, the Navy chaplains come to this man's front door. And as soon as he sees the chaplains coming to the front door, There was, there's a concern. I had to call the military once. My son was uh, involved in the initial invasion of of Iraq, and there was questions at that point of chemical weaponry. And we got a letter from from the Marine Corps, and it was like, I don't get this. This ain't right. So I called them, and I said, listen, what are you saying here? And they're saying, what we're saying is that if your son dies in Iraq and there's chemical weapons that are somehow involved in that, you're never gonna see his body again because we can't ship a body like that back. And I realized, oh my. And, and then I and then they said, I said well, how would I hear that? And they said, marine chaplains will come to your front door. I'm like, oh gee, okay, all right. <clears throat> so I want you to picture in your mind the marine chaplains come to this man's front door and they tell him that his son, his beloved son, is dead. And they say to this man, they said there was a a rescue mission, the people have been rescued, but your son is dead, and the only thing that we have left of him is this uniform. And they hand him his shirt, and it's got his name on it, and they hand him his shirt. It's stained with blood. There's blood all over it. And that dad, Looks at that shirt, and there he sees the blood of his son. That blood that is stained on that shirt was the very same blood that flowed through the veins of his little boy. And he takes that shirt and he just hugs that shirt, and all of a sudden his mind starts going back, starts going back as a grieving father would do. His mind starts going back, and he says, and he sees his boy, he sees that big, brave uh, Navy SEAL, he sees him as a little boy. He sees him as a little toddler, little active boy. who's running around all the time, is rambunctious, who breaks stuff, his irrepressible energy that he has. He sees him giggling, but he also sees him being tough as nails. A kid falls down, he jumps up, he keeps going. And then he, he, he sees him playing Little League, and he sees him on the wrestling mats. And he sees him out beside him in a boat on fishing trips. And he, he sees him growing up. And he, he hears his laughter. And he, he remembers all of his pride as a father and all that this boy meant to him. And he remembered when he went into the military. He remembered when he, were, and when he, when he got his commission. He remembered when he became a Navy SEAL. And, that, that, and all he has now is this, is this uniform with this blood just totally drenched in this dried caked blood. And that's the only connection, living connection, that he has to this boy. And that blood is precious. That blood is precious to him. That, that uniform is precious to him. It's all that he has left. And, and, he, and yet the dad also believes... In the, in the purpose, in the reason, he felt it was, it was a sacred, almost a sacred purpose, an important thing. He has no regrets. His son gave his life to save other people's lives and that he might live. In other words, this dad is all in. He's all in to what his son did, what his son was about, what his son became. But he also deeply, deeply values this precious blood of this jersey that he's just holding, holding closely to his chest. Because it makes him somehow feel close once again to the Son, they don't never see again. Dear friends, this is the kind of thing we need to understand. What God did in Jesus Christ was huge. It was huge. What God did the Father in sending the beloved for us was huge. This wasn't easy. It was huge. It was, the blood is sacred. His Son was His beloved. And, and, and unlike sending a Navy SEAL to go get citizens Imagine you had to send your son as a Navy SEAL to go get a drug lord or to go get some international terrorist because he has information that the United States needs and your son dies for a wretched man like that. Jesus died for wretched sinners. And this is what God did because God was all in. God was all invested. And that blood is precious to him. That blood is sacred. That blood is the blood of his son. And yet God was all in. All in. Now let's apply this to ourselves. First of all, we need to begin, if we draw lines of application from this, back to God. We need to begin and end always with God. How rich God must be in grace. How willing He is to lavish it upon us. What lengths God is able, willing to go to show His love for us and to rescue us. And this is why our Our hearts should be filled with worship toward this God. See, this is what the book of Ephesians does. Isn't it really worship what we've been studying so far? Verse 3, blessed are you. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. It's worshiping him, talking about the lavishness by which he's pouring out his grace upon us. What lengths this God would, had do, has done for us. What he has given for us. How worthy. Our, our response should be adoration and praise and thanksgiving and blessing and wonder and amazement at a God who is so full of rich and grace that he would give us his beloved and the precious blood of his beloved to wash away and cleanse us from our sins. One of our takeaways then should be this. How this God is for us. I know that you all some of you have sat under my preaching for almost what's well, going on 19 years now. And I know you know that I love John 3:16. I usually preach that at most funerals. I love John 3:16. But many of you know that probably the, the next verse that I quote the most, because I just love it so much, is Romans 8:31 and 32, and it totally applies right here right now. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Check out this next phrase. He who did not spare, did not spare his own son didn't say, no, no, you are not going. No, no, you're too precious to me. No, my beloved is not going to that wicked, fallen world. I'll destroy it before my beloved will go into that place. That place is dangerous. You will be hated there. No, my beloved is going to be safe. He is going to stay there next next to me. No, his precious blood will not be shed. It will not be shed. No, no. No, I'm not going to see the vast spilling of my son's blood. I'm not going to see it dripping down that ugly cross. No, no, I'm sparing. I'm sparing him that. I'm sparing me that no he did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things here's another way of putting this God's for you so relax Calm down. Trust him. This is a God you can trust. A God who lavishes his grace upon us by the pouring out of his son's blood, the precious blood to him from the beloved of his his heart. If he did that for you, he's going to take care of everything else. You don't need to worry about the little stuff. You should trust him. He's for you Should make you start to unwind, should make you start to calm down, should make your anxieties begin to melt away like an ice cube on a hot summer sidewalk. Your anxieties should just start melting away. This God is for me. This God gave his beloved for me. Joy should begin growing in your life the peace that passes all understanding should start to become literally a lifestyle for you and I. We have a problem. We have a problem. Something alarms us. Something alerts us. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is nothing compared to the shedding of the, precious, of the beloved's precious blood. He didn't spare his own son He's going to clearly get me through this. God is for me. He is for you. He shed the precious blood for you. Let me take it in another direction here and say this. You can trust how precious this blood is to God. Now the blood's precious to us, but you can live in trust at how precious the blood is to god and again think of the man hugging that jersey of his son's precious blood think of the father and infinite love that he has for his son and how infinitely valued that blood is to his son what do i mean by this what i mean by this is so many times christians really struggle with sin in their lives they struggle with it some people struggle with the fact that they have a big they have that that one big bad sin in their lives Now, all sin is bad but, but people have that one big thing in their lives that they did in their past, and they just simply can't put it away. They just simply can't get beyond that. And even if they've been Christians, and I know some people have been Christians 20 or 30 years, but they go back to that time, they really dreadfully hurt somebody, they really did something really wrong, they really sinned against God, they really did something that was shameful. And, and 20, 30 years later, That thing just keeps coming back. That thing keeps coming back. And they feel like they always must live as a second-class citizen. They always have that back there, that in the closet, that that keeps haunting them. Dear ones, you need to understand, the precious blood cleanses and washes that. The precious blood is greater than that. The precious blood is greater than that. And God could very well say to you, Stop going back there. Think of think of if, if God was holding his beloved, or he was, he was holding the, the jersey with the blood on it. He would say, Stop going back there. The precious blood was shed for that. What the Father can do is just look to his right hand, and there he could see the scars in his son, and he could say, Stop going back there. It's over. It's God, because the precious blood is more valuable, so valuable, that it can wash that sin away. Maybe, maybe that's not your issue. Maybe your issue is you have the normal sins, the normal sins we all fall into. And you, as a Christian, you're trying to live a holy life. You're trying, to do, you're trying to have your devotions. You're trying to read your Bible. You're trying to do the right thing. And then all of a sudden, these normal sins, these normal sins that we fall into, and again, I'm not belittling them. I'm just telling you, these normal sins that we run into, you have a bad run of them. You have a couple bad days. You lose your temper. You say things you shouldn't say. You're thinking stupid things in your heart. You're having a bad day. You're, you're, just, you're just running to a bad And then you get to the point where it's like, oh, my. Oh, boy. I don't even want to have my devotions. I'm just so ashamed of myself. I feel so terrible about myself. God can't love me. I'm, I'm not even sure I'm a Christian anymore. I'm not even sure. What are you doing? What are you doing? The precious blood has washed all of those sins away. Do you think that God sacrifices? On? I honestly think God would. If you know, He's probably tempted at times to come down and just yell at us and say, "What are you doing?" Come back to me, have your devotions, pray, repent, get cleansed, get washed. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Ah, the precious blood has been shed for you, stop that. And there's going to be times even this, and I'll take it even another step further. Going to be, you're going to grow in grace. You're going to be growing in grace, and you're going to be living a godly and holy life. And, 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 and all those really kind of you know, big, big, big ugly sins that you used to do, they're starting to become less and less in your life. You're, you're not doing them anymore. You're, 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 you're getting some control of your tongue, getting control of your thoughts. You're, 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 you're interacting with people. You've got your lifestyle going the right way, and everything's going the right way. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes along, and he sheds a light right in your heart of an area of sin that you are not quite aware of that you do, but you do it. I do it. Maybe, maybe you got envious of somebody, and then that envy got fueled, and, and you were mean to that person, maybe just in your heart, or maybe you let slip a few words about that person, and then your pride got involved. Your pride started fueling that envy, and then before you know it, you have full-blown malice. You hate that You don't even know you hate that person. It's just every time you see him, you go, the hair goes up in the back of your neck, your pulse starts racing a little bit, and then when they leave, you calm down. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes with this bright light and says, huh, yeah, I want to grow you up. I want you to be holy and without blame. And so he shines this bright light, and all of a sudden, you see with crystal clarity this ugly malice in your heart. what do you do? Well, normally at that point, we just fall apart. But we need to understand that the precious blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. The redemption, He purchased us. He came, our kinsman redeemer came and bought us out of this. He paid the price. The blood has been paid, we're forgiven we're forgiven. Dear friends, think of how precious that blood is to God and claim that blood in the presence of God. Oh God, please forgive me. And I'm praying this not on the basis that I'm a good guy, not on the basis that I'll try to do better. I am going to try to do better. Not on the basis of all that. I pray this on the basis that at your right hand is your son and your son is my redemption. He is my apalutrosis. He is, his blood is my only hope. He is my salvation. He is what I'm pleading. I'm pleading him and recognize and trust and believe that that blood is so precious to His his Father and to your Father that your sins are cleansed, your sins are forgiven. This is what God did. He gave us redemption that we would have the forgiveness of sins. Look at the verse again. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And do this when Satan is accusing you. Satan, I'll say one thing to you, the precious blood of Jesus. Do this when your conscience is accusing you. I plead the precious blood of Jesus. Do this when people are reviling you and reproaching you and saying bad things about you. They know your past. They know what a jerk you were before you became a Christian. Oh, she's so loose. Oh, he's a druggie. Oh, he's some porno guy. Oh, she's a failure. He's a loser. She's skanky. <laughs> I've been cleansed and washed by the precious blood. I don't care what you say. God sees the precious blood of Christ was poured out lavishly for me. God's grace was poured out lavishly for me. That's my new identity. I am a blood-purchased servant and child of the living God. That's who I am. So you can call me any names you want. Those names don't matter because the precious blood was cleansed, poured out for me. Finally, by way of application, let me say this. Don't go back. Don't go back. If my son was a Navy SEAL and he died so that you would be free, I just was reading something the other day. I was reading about Jimmy Carter, and Jimmy Carter intervened with North Korea because some guy, some American guy, wandered into North Korea. How this knucklehead wandered into North Korea, but he did, I don't know if he was taking pictures and he crossed the line, and all of a sudden he's arrested and spent 20 years in a North Korean prison before President Carter got him out. Well, after if, if, I had an, if my son was a Navy SEAL and he went in and died to get you knucklehead out of there, and that, what would I think if you wandered back in again? 1 Corinthians 6, 20, Paul is telling the Corinthian men, what are you doing going to those prostitutes? What are you doing going into that pagan temple? And then he said this to them. Keep this up, by the way, Ben, for a second. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now notice, part of this is this, looking back. Don't go back. Don't go back to your sins. Don't go back to the the things that you did. Don't go back to the things that Jesus redeemed you out of. Don't Stay away from those friends. Stay away from those sites. Stay away from those conversations. Shut off that social media. Do whatever you need to do. But don't go back because he purchased you with his precious blood out of there. That precious blood that was on his jersey, he purchased that for you. And, And don't go back to that at all. You go back, that means this means nothing to me. No, 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 no. See, Paul thought, no, this should mean something to them. I'm not going back there. The precious blood was shed for me. But then I will say, keep this verse also has a forward looking. What I will say is this, go forward. Go forward. Look at what this verse says. You were bought with a price. That looks back. Therefore, looks forward, glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's. God bought you. He pray, paid the price for your redemption. He bought you out of slavery. You're now his. You're his. The precious blood purchased you. Go, bear fruit, live a holy life, be a holy and blameless before him in his sight. He, he chose you before the foundation of the world. He, he, he predestined you to be his son. He wants you to be, and then he purchased you, lavished his grace out upon you. Now go running, running toward him and be holy. Be righteous. Fight your sin by the power of the Holy Spirit overcome. And then I'll say to any of you here, anyone who is here, do you need the precious blood right now? Are you, are you lost in your sin? Are you under the captivity of sin? Are you under, are you under a mountain of guilt? Are you condemned? If you were to die right now, you're one heartbeat away from eternity. Your heart stops right now. You're launching into eternity. If you died right now, would you go to hell? Would you go to hell because of your sins? What if God requires your blood from you? Because that's what it will mean. What if God requires you to bear the guilt of your sins? You will suffer under his wrath. And that's why God says this. He offers the blood of his beloved. He offers his beloved. His beloved crucified. His beloved who died on that bloody cross. His beloved who who is the redeemer. He offers to purchase you back. He offers to forgive you of all of your sins. He offers you the blood of the beloved. There is a fountain filled with blood. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come and you will be forgiven of all of your guilty stains. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you and we praise you. That you gave us your beloved. That your beloved died on our behalf. That your beloved died a horrible death. That your beloved shed his blood, all of it, for us. We know that you value him. We know that you value the blood. And we thank you that it's that blood that paid for our sins. It's that blood that bought us out of captivity. It's that blood that freed us from Satan. It's that blood. We thank you. We praise you. What a great God you are, that you would be willing to give your beloved and you would be willing to give his blood. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you were willing to even take on a body that could have blood so that you could die on our behalf. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you. We praise you and we worship you and we thank you. We thank you, our great God, Thank you, Son of God, that you would die for us. We praise you. And for any here who need the blood, who need the blood because they cannot stand without it alone before you, save them, we pray. Please save them, we ask. We pray this in Jesus' name.